welcome back to another episode of the Connected Coach Podcast. This is your show to learn more about ways that you can become more connected to yourself and to your clients and to the world at large, whatever that means to you. And um, today I am so excited to share a conversation with you with my friend, Rachel. Rachel Havacost. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful to have you. Um, A little introduction about Rachel. Um, Rachel is... I met I met you how long? Like a couple of years ago, maybe? Through it was like a year, a year and a half ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Rachel randomly was recommended to me to do copywriting. And when I found her, I was like, oh, you are like so much better than just a copywriter. You're like such a such an epic human. Um, so she is a writer. She is a writer and a mental health advocate. She's published a book, Where the River Flows, which is so beautiful. She sent me a copy and it's gorgeous. It's so well written. It's just epic, epic memoir of her life. And also she creates guided journals for mental health. She's just, ah, just been through so many experiences that she so openly and willingly shares to create support and opportunities for other people to learn and grow. So I think it's just such a beautiful gift that you give to the world with your experience. So thanks for doing that. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. Um, So something that we discussed uh, previously of like maybe being a good topic to dive into, I figure we just like go right for it, is like, let's talk about sex. Let's talk about sex and your relationship to sex and how you've grown in that. So yeah, yeah. So I, um, you know, if any, for anyone listening, um, I'm going to I'm going to talk a little bit about sexual trauma. So if for any reason that feels triggering to you, I just want to give a heads up that that's kind of going to be a little bit of a framework around um, how my relationship with sex began and then evolved. Um, So I um, essentially like my, my understanding of sex growing up was that it was um, it was an experience that was uh, meant to pleasure a man and meant to be had between cis straight partners and that it was my role as a woman to please. And so that was my framework when I started having sex from the moment I lost my virginity, probably until about eight years into my marriage when I was like 26 years old. Um, I never was given a com- like a talk about sex from my parents, though my mother will tell you she gave me one. I don't remember. I don't remember <laughs> it. Um, I, I moved a lot as a kid. So I just based on curriculum to where I was, I missed all sex ed education in school. So I, I didn't learn anything about safe sex. I didn't learn anything about STDs or STIs. I didn't learn anything about communication or consent. I doubt that was that age um and and so everything I learned about sex was from my friends like my peers who were also 13 14 year old girls um through magazines like Cosmopolitan um and and like what I read on MySpace like I had no education and so um I I spent the first probably eight years of my sexual life um being in sexual situations where I essentially just showed up to be um like a character in a play mm-hmm. I knew what role I needed to play not in like a loving fun kinky role play way but in a I'm just here in service of the pleasure of this other person and 
Um, because of that, I endured quite a few really unsafe, scary sexual experiences where I didn't want to be in the experience I was in or didn't want to be doing what I was doing, but I didn't know that it was okay for me to say no. I thought I was just supposed to engage. Um, and that created an, an additional layer of confusion for me because sex started to become a, a scary place to go. And, and the more experiences I had that were scary, um, the more I would dissociate during sex or check out or leave my body. So when it came time to like, when I was actually in a really healthy, loving relationship with my ex-husband, who I was with for 10 years, who was an amazing human being and lover, um, a very safe and, and caring and communicative partner. I didn't know what I liked. I didn't know how to ask for what I wanted. I didn't know how to say that feels good or that doesn't feel good. And even when something did feel good, I immediately was in my head starting to think about everything, think about, oh, was he having a good time? And I couldn't connect to my own body. Um, and so it wasn't until like a couple of years ago in therapy when I started to really work through these things and learned that A, my pleasure matters in sex. Sex is not in service of um, an orgasm. It is about um, connection and communication and play and pleasure. And that doesn't mean that there has to be an end goal in mind. Um, sex is about the conversations you have about sex. Sex is, you know, sex is, <laughs> is so much more than just achieve orgasm. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then I also learned like, oh, I, I really need to reconnect with my own body and figure out what feels good for me. And I need to reduce some shame around what I think feels good for me. And the stories I tell myself about what is about or what I think is sexy or sensual. Um, and I can say, no, I can change my mind. I can say that hurts. I can decide, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm an equal participant in the, in the play of sex. Mm -hmm. um, and so now, now that I'm you know, recently divorced, single and dating and having sex, it's like this whole new fucking world of like <laughs> trying to take all these things I've learned and can, and show up in a way where I'm still like, you know, there's still some of that old patterns happening, but re like recreating patterns for myself. So mm -hmm. that was a really long answer. It was such a good answer. It was such a good answer. It's such a good answer because it's like one, it's authentic. It's so real. It's your unique experience, but it's also <clears throat> so many other people's experiences. Like there are so many bits of what you shared that I think most women can relate to specifically the performative actions, specifically not receiving appropriate education and also the lack of prioritization of your pleasure. And I also want to just double click on the dissociation from your body and disconnection from your body. And how did you, I want to know how you start, like I've watched you just so beautifully express connection to your body on the internet. It's been awesome. How did you start to regain that trust with yourself and reconnect with yourself physically? Yeah. I mean, I'm still working on it. Um, it's definitely a daily practice and, um, and I had to start it, I had to start with it being not about connecting to my body in service of any experience or, or feeling. Um, so not connecting it to sex or even pleasure, mm -hmm. um, but connecting it just to um, the mind and body connection. So mm -hmm. things like simple things like doing a body scan where mm -hmm. I sit, you know, in a chair with my feet planted on the ground and I start with my feet and I just close my eyes 
and I visualize my feet. I think, I think about my feet and then I think about my ankles and then my calves. So I'm making this mind body connection, like a very simple rudimentary mind body connection. Mm-hmm. And even, even that was very, very hard and anxiety provoking because I would, I would get to certain body parts where I've either had trauma or shame. Um, and it would be very, very hard for me to connect to those body parts. I would not want to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so remaining really mindful and non-judgmental as I would do just something simple as a body scan. Um, then I started doing some work with my therapist around when I would experience an intense emotion, whether it was pleasure, love, pain, anger, um, asking myself, where do I feel this in my body? Mm-hmm. So if I was angry, asking, where do I feel the anger in my body? I would often feel anger in my throat. Mm-hmm. Um, where, you know, when I feel uh, pleasure, where do I feel it? You know, maybe I would feel it like in my mid back. And so starting to then connect emotional experiences to the physical. Mm-hmm. Um, so started dancing a lot and doing like somatic shaking um, in an effort to start to actually like move emotion or stuck emotion out of the body. Um, and so those are just like a few different practices that have nothing to do with sex, mm-hmm. um, but have everything to do with reconnecting my mind to my body so that my, I can teach my mind that it's safe to be in tune with my body um, and, and that my body is a safe place to be. Mm-hmm. So those are a few exercises that I, I started doing initially. I love those. I love it because it's so simple. Like it's, this is a conversation I have frequently is like, I think there's a lot of overcomplication and a lot of, I have all this complex trauma and like, there's all these things that are wrong with me. Like, how do I even begin, where do I even begin to like unearth these tangled memories and experiences that are all interwoven with some kind of like layers of psychology. And there's just so much that people can get wrapped up in. And I think the simplicity of what you shared is so incredibly valuable because anyone can start to notice their feet. Anyone can start to notice their fingertips and like just starting there is like so, so, so good. So thank you for that. Um, I want to shift a little bit into uh, mental health because I think that's also something that you share really openly about. And you talked a couple, you mentioned a couple times already my work with my therapist or I started therapy, et cetera, et cetera. And I want to just be such an advocate for therapy. Therapy absolutely changed my life too. And I would love to talk a little bit about how therapy has affected you. Why did you start going to therapy? And how do you, like one question that comes up a lot for my clients is like, where do I even find a good therapist? How do I know that a therapist is good or not? Um, Where do I look for that? Yeah. So those are two really great questions. So I'll start kind of with like a brief outline of my experience in therapy. And then I'll talk a little bit about, um, you know, how do I find a therapist or know that it's a good fit? So I first started going to therapy when I was 15. Um, I was diagnosed with anorexia. And so my parents sent me to therapy. I didn't want to go. Um, and, and so I would say for like the first three or four years that I was in therapy, I was uh, resistant to treatment. I was resistant to being there. I, w- I had no interest in, in getting better. Um, and so I kind of, I would say for the, for the first four years I was in therapy, w- did not think it was beneficial. I just... I just thought this is dumb. Nobody understands me. No one can ever, no one's ever going to be able to, you know, help me or like the thoughts I'm having are, are 
you know, no one's, no one's going to, you know, be able to deal with whatever it is I'm thinking. So I'm going to just stay quiet in therapy and pretend like I'm, you know, showing up. And it wasn't until I was in college when I was severely depressed, um, and actually attempted suicide. Um, and I was hospitalized for three days that I, I kind of felt like, Oh, like I need to, I actually really need some help. And so I voluntarily went to seek a therapist and, and so that was the first time I chose to go. And even then I didn't, I didn't feel like I was really getting much out of it. I didn't feel like, I mean, I was doing a little bit of CBT and then there was this other woman I was seeing that was psychoanalyzing me and looking into my past. And I kind of, um, I just felt like, again, like, I just felt like no one really is going to understand me. I had a fine childhood. So there's nothing, there's no secret trauma. Like there's just nothing that's going to, this just isn't going to work for me. And, um, and still I continue to struggle with depression, anxiety, and my eating disorder. And it wasn't until probably a few years later when my eating disorder got really, really bad. And my um, ex-husband said, you know, I think you need to go to treatment that I was like, Oh, okay. Like someone I love is validating that what I'm going through is really bad. Someone sees me. Okay. I agree. I'll go. And in treatment, there was group therapy and I'd never been to group therapy before. And it was the first time I realized that I was not the only person with the thoughts I was having. Um, and I wasn't alone. And that was like a window for me to go, oh, maybe there is possibility for change because I'm not, not that I'm not unique, but the thoughts I'm having are, are experienced by others. And we're all here to get this treatment, which means maybe like, the treatment actually could work because it's designed for people like us who have these thoughts. And so there was hope. And, and I think that that opened me up to actually speaking in therapy and talking to my therapists, to trying the skills that they were offering for me, to, um, to committing to my recovery and committing to um, changing and trying something new. And after that, I became like, just such an advocate for therapy because I found, I had found it to be so helpful once I was willing and, and interested in receiving whatever was being given to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, now I have a therapist who I've been with for about a year and a half and truthfully, she's the first therapist I've ever actually loved. Um, mm-hmm. And so it took me a long time to find someone that I really connected with. And it wasn't necessarily that all the therapists I I saw weren't skilled because they were all trained and licensed. It was just, I didn't feel completely seen by anyone until I, until I met this person. Mm -hmm. And so my first piece of advice or suggestion when it comes to how do I know if this is a good therapist for me is listen to your intuition. Um, you know, they could have all the degrees in the world and be, you know, have so much experience and, come highly recommended, but if you don't feel seen and understood, and if you don't feel like you trust the person you're speaking to, um, then it doesn't matter how, how skilled they are. Um, so that's, you know, that's one thing is like, it really is like, it's like dating. It's like finding someone that you feel like a really good, um, safe connection with. And, and that can be overwhelming and stressful because you might have to date a couple therapists that you don't feel connected to before and not like literally date, but like, you know, <laughs> sit with, sit with it. That's not ethical. But, don't recommend um, dating your therapist. <laughs> not, not recommending that. Not recommending that. Um, don't quote me on that. Um, 
yeah, like you might have to sit with a few different people and like quote unquote shop around. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, I will say, um, you know, when I've told folks that they get really anxious about like wasting somebody's time. Mm-hmm. And I will say that, um, therapists are used to people shopping around with them. They understand that that's part of the process. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so they're, you know, and their job is to not have their feelings be in the room. It's not about them. It's about mm-hmm. you. So it's perfectly okay and normal um, to go to a therapist for for a session as like a tryout, as a consultation. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, that's one piece. The other piece is, you know, finding a therapist is just, it's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how skilled you are at finding a therapist or how many times you've done it. It's overwhelming. So I just want to validate that if it feels stressful, that's normal. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you're getting overwhelmed about something that shouldn't be overwhelming. Um, it means that it's just an overwhelming process and, um, to, to ease the process, you know, my, it, my suggestion is, um, you know, there's so many different kinds of therapy and, um, when you, when you go online, you know, there's a few websites like psychologytoday.com or findatherapist.com um, or goodtherapy.com. Those are the three I usually use where you can do, use a lot of filters to filter, mm-hmm. um, the location of the therapist, what insurance they use, and, um, you know, uh, diagnoses or, or symptoms or, um, problems that you're coming to therapy with that they, that they're really like specialized in. So if you know that you want someone who's really, really great with anxiety and eating disorders, who's, um, who has online availability, you really want to see a woman, you can make all those check marks and it will filter it down. So that can mm-hmm. kind of help with the overwhelm. Totally. Um, and then, you know, when it comes to like what kind of therapy they offer, there's so many different styles of therapy. Um, I cannot go through them all right now. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and I would say, um, you know, just if you can, if you know that you're the kind of person that just needs a space to talk, um, then just let the therapist know like, Hey, I'm just here because I need somebody to talk to Mm -hmm. and they'll be able to to adapt to that. If you know that what you need is some skills or to learn, you know, how to do things, or you like worksheets or you like, um, you know, homework, Mm -hmm. um, you know, Mm -hmm. two different ways that you can enter in and ask for like, this is what I need. And then the therapist can sort of modify based on that because all therapists will be trained in both of those things. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I hope that helps in some capacity. That's super helpful. <laughs> no, I love that. I think the websites you gave as resources are great. And also just the validation, you know, I think a lot of people are like, the, there's a few key points in what you shared that I see as really resonant for a lot of people who are going through some kind of self-healing journey or a healing journey in with another person. And like, I hear that there's so much value in being seen, right. And so much value in community and then also in safety and, and validation. And like those things in interplay are like what it sounds like to me were really like the, the sparks and the impetus for you being able to, to move through some of the challenges that you faced. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, yeah. one last thing I want to ask about, or just have a le- like brief conversation about our boundaries and, 
Um, I'm curious, like, how did you learn how to, like, you've set such good fucking boundaries for yourself, both online and with your healing and in your relationships. And I'm just like blown away by the level of just like fierce protection of yourself and your boundaries. And like, how did that even happen? And how does someone start doing that? Yeah, it's so funny because I had the shittiest boundaries in the world. Like, not only did I not have them, but I like, I just was enmeshed with everyone around me. I was a huge people pleaser, huge people pleaser, never, ever, ever put my needs first. Even And even if I like was taking care of everyone else's needs, I, I would never even come back to my own needs. Um, not only did I not say no, but I had this belief that I needed to be like a yes man. So I said yes to everything. Um, and, uh, I had no privacy. I, I was always oversharing. Um, and I constantly just felt like I, I just, I didn't have my own energetic space ever. Um, and, and anytime I felt the urge or the need to like say no, or to change my mind or to cancel a plan or to, you know, show up a little bit late somewhere or whatever it was, the anxiety I felt about hurting someone's feelings, being a bad person, being disrespectful, um, you know, uh, the, 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 the fear I had about the judgment I might get from the other person was so anxiety provoking. Um, so I, I've not always had good boundaries. It took, it took time and it took practice. Um, so when I, when I went to eating disorder treatment program, um, one of the most amazing things they taught me was that boundaries are okay to have. So the first thing I actually had to learn was not how to set a boundary or what it is. I had to, I had to shift my beliefs about boundaries and I had a lot of limiting beliefs about boundaries. Um, and so I had to start by basically busting myths about <laughs> what boundaries are, what boundaries aren't, what's, what, why it's okay to have boundaries, what they mean, what they do, what they don't do. Um, and, and that was the first step is, uh, yeah, is like changing my beliefs about boundaries. And then once I was able to shift my mind, my mind, sorry about that. That's okay. I hold a crystal when I'm talking to make me feel, oh, feel grounded. Wait, which, which crystal were you holding? Uh, this one. It's like oh, a so pretty, actually, I actually don't know what it is. My therapist gave it to me. It's really um, beautiful. Yeah. Um, sorry. It's totally <laughs> um, good. so glad this is informal. Um, <laughs> yes. yeah. So then after that, they, you know, they also taught us skills around communication and those skills really inform how I was able to verbalize boundaries once I figured out that it was okay to have them. Mm -hmm. So then it was just a matter of practicing. And, um, and I, you know, there were some boundaries that were very clear to me. Like I didn't want to have to tell my mother every single thing I knew that for me was something I already knew. I just hadn't ever disclosed that to her. Mm -hmm. Um, so then it was a matter of actually setting that boundary and then handling her response and, you know, and dealing with, with that, um, which was really hard and probably took about a year for her to get on board and me constantly setting and resetting my boundaries. Um, and then it was a matter of breaking down my boundaries into categories. So like there's, you, there's physical boundaries, there's work boundaries, there's sexual boundaries, there's time boundaries, right? So we have all these categories of boundaries 
and breaking it down and going, all right, what are my boundaries in sex? What are my boundaries with my self? And asking myself what feel like my boundaries and then starting to exercise them and actually trying to set them. And there was a lot of trial and error, a lot of like oversetting a boundary that then made me feel like, oh shit, that was way too strict. Okay, maybe I need to like, you know, push, you know, allow for a little more wiggle room or, mm-hmm. oh, I didn't, I set that boundary, but then I totally backtracked because I got anxious. So next time I'm going to be firmer. And, and also like being really compassionate with myself while setting them and really kind because I, I was a beginner, like mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was doing. And mm-hmm. so being really kind with myself, um, around being a beginner with boundary setting. And, um, I was talking to somebody about this yesterday. Like I still write down um, my boundary before I set it with someone, mm. I, I like I, pra- I practice and I rehearse because mm-hmm. I know that the anxiety or the fear of rejection or abandonment or anger um, or judgment is still there. Mm-hmm. And I know that with that fear present, I can, I can often in the moment dissociate. Mm-hmm. And so to help me with that, it's really important that I practice and prepare and think to myself about, you know, what are some things that might happen when I set this boundary and how can I respond or react so that I have those things ready in my mind so that I can stay present in the moment and, um, and hold my boundary. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's an ongoing practice and I still mess up. Um, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I love that. Like there's so many little tangible takeaways from what you just said. And I think like the most important thing is actually the first thing you said is just like, it's okay to have boundaries. Like it's okay. Like you're allowed. And I, I just, yeah, I love that. It's simple and it's easy. And all the practices of like dividing it up into areas also so good. And the writing it down to rehearse. I love that. Cool. Okay. We'll end there. I think that's a great spot to stop. Um, and I want to respect your time. And I just want you to know that I appreciate you so much. How can people listening find you? Where do you hang out? And what are your boundaries about people reaching out to you? <laughs> yeah, um, thank you for asking. So I, I hang out on Instagram at Rachel underscore Habacost. I hang out on TikTok at Rachel Habacost. My website is rachelhavacost.com. So if you have my name, you should be able to find me on all (laughs) socials. Those are the three places I am the most. Um, I have some pretty clear boundaries about my DMs on Instagram. I actually have a highlight um, called Start Here. So if you find me on Instagram, just head to that highlight and it'll clearly explain um, how to reach out to me in, in my DMs. Um, and if you're listening to this podcast and you have a question or you want to get in touch with me, I'm going to just open up to you, um, mm-hmm. an invitation to DM me and say, Hey, I heard you on Hannah's podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a question about X, Y, and Z. So, um, feel free to, to do that. So um, nice and yeah, and I just, um, I'm just so grateful that you hold, held the space for me and I love everything you're doing. And I'm just, I'm just so glad to be here with you. <laughs> I'm so grateful for you. Thank you for sharing your story so vulnerably and so openly and sharing your experience. And just that in itself is such a gift. So thank you for existing and for sharing. I appreciate you. Of course. Thank you. Yeah.